The Gospel reading for this morning comes from John's Gospel, beginning in the second chapter at the 13th verse. John wrote these things. When the Passover feast celebrated each spring by the Jews was about to take place, Jesus traveled up to Jerusalem. And he found the temple teeming with people selling cattle and sheep and doves. The loan sharks were also there in full strength. So Jesus put together a whip out of strips of leather and chased them out of the temple, stampeding the sheep and cattle, upending the tables of the loan sharks, spilling coins left and right. He told the dove merchants, get your things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a shopping mall. And that's when his disciples remembered the scripture, zeal for your house consumes me. But the Jews were upset. They asked, what credentials can you present to justify this? And Jesus answered, tear down this temple and in three days I'll put it back together. And they were indignant. It took 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to rebuild it in three days? But Jesus was talking about his body as the temple. Later, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. They then put two and two together and believed both what was written in Scripture and what Jesus had said. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? O Lord, come to our church this day. And if the doors are shut, kick them open. If we are too cold or aloof, set us on fire. If our preacher goes on too long, shut him up. If we talk about everything except what is important, force us to confront the truth. And if we become so concerned about the mere survival of our church at the expense of the mission of our church, take it from us and tear it down. If we hunker down behind our sacred walls, push down the walls and drive us out into the world where you are Lord of all. You are Lord of all including the church. Help us never to forget that truth, even when it hurts. Open our ears, our minds, our hearts to your word for us this day. Amen. (coughs) The Emperor Frederick, who ruled the Roman Empire in the 13th century, thought that it would be a useful experiment to discover what our original language was, either Hebrew or Greek or Latin or whatever. So he decided to isolate a few infants from the sound of any human voice. He reasoned that if so isolated from anything prejudicial when they spoke, it would be in the universal, natural tongue of the human species. So wet nurses were obtained to care for these infants, but they were sworn to absolute silence and could not engage in any socializing with these babies in any way. And from the moment they were born, these babies never heard the sound or the hum or the song of another human. 
and within a year, they were all dead. You know, much like us, the people of the ancient worlds were fearful of being alone in a wild and unpredictable world. These men and women created a whole host of gods who could be safely located in available shrines and temples. It was important to these folks that these gods have both faces and voices. So temples were decorated with elaborate statues and pictures of what each god looked like. Oracles spoke this god's message to those who paid the right price or carried out the right favor. It is difficult for us to realize just how radical Israel's call to worship just one god really was. Its rejection of idols wasn't understood by the peoples of the ancient world. And although Israel still held on to some similar function in their rituals of sacrifice and their interactions with the Ark of the Covenant, there was a big difference. You see, in the heart of old Jerusalem was the temple. And in the heart of the temple, within its innermost sanctuary, was the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest was allowed to visit. And in the heart of the Holy of Holies, separated by partitions and curtains, sat the Ark of the Covenant. And in the heart of the Ark was the throne or the mercy seat. Now the mercy seat was a slab of gold, flat, resting on top of the Ark and guarding either end of the slab and with one piece with it were the golden cherubim. Their faces were turned inward toward each other and their wings arched over the mercy seat. And here between the cherubim and over the mercy seat was the throne, the dwelling of the God of Israel. And on the Day of Atonement, it was on this mercy seat that the high priest sprinkled the sacrificial blood. Now the cherubim did not reside on the mercy seat. God's presence was nowhere portrayed within this Holy of Holies or anywhere else within the temple. All that greeted the high priest was a blank of open space, a void. Rowan Williams said, the great speaking absence between the images. You know, in other words, the most sacred space where God was in the midst of the Hebrew people was empty. What the Israelites carried with them through the wilderness and protected with their lives was a seat with nothing on it but everything in it. To go to Jerusalem to visit God, to make a pilgrimage to find mercy and comfort, was to visit an empty space. The holy absence and the holy silence of the holy space between the cherubim. 
It is because there was no golden statue or talking idol that the Israelites were able to experience the living presence of God in their midst. So perhaps Jesus' little temper tantrum in the temple was in part a reaction against the intrusions of unholy noise and unholy images into this sanctuary of holiness. Gone was an opportunity to experience a center of spirituality that allows one to be led to a greater silence, to a greater space of holiness, replaced by more hustle and bustle, the crush of crowds and commerce. Now we know that God does not reside in a building in something we have made. The living God is so much more than this. In Jesus we meet God, but we sit here in a building of our own construction talking about theology that we have built, which has become a comfortable residence for us. I think ultimately we are so blind to the many ways that we constrict God. Not because we do it intentionally, but because we've fallen into the trap of it has always been done this way. I wonder sometimes if Jesus wouldn't still prefer to overturn some of our well-constructed tables, allowing a new order to emerge from that chaos to replace our well-ordered version. Now the church as an institution is in a struggle to survive. The bishop and the cabinet develop strategies that are well thought out to slow decline and attempt to breathe new life into the air. And I am certain that these strategies represent time spent in prayer and discussion, perhaps even considering models of what has worked in other churches or like-minded organizations. The institution itself is very reticent about experiencing any sort of chaos. Yet I think we must admit that our best laid plans provide mere human wisdom in a difficult situation. We must leave space for the spirit of Christ to appear in our midst, upset some tables, and point us in a new life-giving direction. Remember, please, that by the time this text was written, the tables had been upset in a bigger arena. Rome had thrown down the entire temple, save the western wall. By the time this was written, the people who first read it were trying to figure out how to go on in the middle of absolute chaos. They were in the process of rethinking and retooling theology that had guided right living for thousands of years. And this upset called for sensing the work of the Spirit in entirely new and uncharted ways. Jerusalem and the temple had been destroyed, but the people remained faithful and attempted to move on serving and worshiping God, both in Judaism and in the emerging Christian witness. In closing, and I think if you look at my office, you'll know this is true, I just want to say that it is my experience that messes build up slowly over time. 
You know, we don't notice a bit of dust here, a pile of papers there, until we are actually oblivious to the mess that is often very evident to others. The longer we live with a mess, the easier it becomes to live with it. The longer we live with a mess, the more difficult it becomes to clean it up. If we don't clean up the messes, they will eventually cave in and destroy us. So what would this kind of spiritual house cleaning look like for us today? How would we really feel about somebody else coming in and taking apart our Tinker Toy creations. You know, when the temple becomes a marketplace, it is no longer the center of life, the center of community. Something other than God is allowed to reside in the center of life for the people. We walk in a very difficult tension because we, like the babies at the beginning story, rely on interactions with other humans for our very life. And that has great potential, but it also carries with it some deadly dangers. I have always been thankful for the temple rebuilt in three days, in whom is life forever. That's something to think about this morning. Keep the faith. Amen.